But today we are in week two of our series entitled The Commands of Christ. And so last week we kicked off this series and and, and, and we let you know that this thing's going to last for, for quite a while. Like it's going all the way through Thanksgiving into the first week of December. But the reason that we have set aside so much time for this series is because we believe that the commands of Christ are really, really important. And so last week we talked about how there are two commands, these two foundational commands that, that Jesus gave that are known as great. And so last week we looked at one of them being the Great Commission, and in the Great Commission Jesus says this, all authority, say that with me, all authority, oh, I messed that up, that's my fault, that's my fault, go ahead, all authority, thank you, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, because all authority has been given to me, this is what you need to go do. You need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then here's kind of that theme verse for us for the next couple of months. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then here's the promise. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so these, these parting words are spoken after Jesus is resurrected and just moments before he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. And, and Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You need to make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, you make disciples by, by going, by, by doing, and by not staying, and by not sitting. He says, you, you make disciples by, by baptizing, and you make disciples by you first becoming a disciple, meaning you first obey what I have commanded you, but then you also teach others to obey what I have commanded you. And then he also says, and then you, you, you make disciples by remembering that you're not doing this on your own, but I am with you always to the very end of the age. So a big part of discipleship and a big part of what we want to talk about here over the next couple of months is this. Is one, we must know what Jesus commanded us to do. And two, we must teach others to do the same. But how often do we really just stop and dive into these commands of Christ? Sure, we talk about the Great Commission and we take comfort from the Great Commission and and yeah, at different times we'll talk about various commands that Jesus gave, but, but so often I fear that whenever it comes to the commands of Christ, we, we operate under this general assumption that we're all just on the same page, that we say, obey what Jesus commanded you to do, and everybody's just like, oh yeah, I got that. Well, this series is designed to break down that assumption and to specifically look at some of what Jesus has commanded us to do. So, like I, I mentioned last week, there, there's this book that I was introduced to this summer by John Piper called uh, What Jesus Demands from the World. And in this book, Piper actually looks at 50 of these demands, or 50 of these commands. And, and so over the next two months, we're not going to be able to cover all of what Piper noted, let alone what he did not but we are going to do everything we can through the power of the Holy Spirit to be faithful stewards of each and every opportunity that we have in this place to make us all aware, more aware of, of what Jesus is calling us to do and who Jesus is calling us to be. And again, the reason that this is so important is because these commands are not suggestions. These commands are not things to merely just be thought about, but these are the expectations that Jesus has for every single one of us who claim to belong to him. 
So if last week we looked at one of these foundational commands that is known as great, it probably makes sense that this week, if there's only two of them, that we look at at the other one. And so if you have your Bible today, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus' ministry is, is, is about to come to an end. We're, we're getting there. I mean, we're in that last, that, that last week of Jesus' life. He's already entered Jerusalem. That triumphal entry has already happened. He's already entered Jerusalem for the very last time. He's already way, made his way to the temple and like overturned the tables and cleansed the temple and, and all that stuff. He's, he's already told a bunch of stories that have not really set well with a lot of the religious leaders of his day. And for that reason, in Matthew chapter 22, we have three different groups of religious people. You have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, and you even have the Herodians who are all trying with everything that they have to make Jesus slip up. They're trying to back him into a corner to, to compromise the truth of his message that he had been proclaiming throughout his entire ministry, or at the very least trying to, to, to force him to say something that would finally give them the reason and the authority to, to be able to arrest and execute Jesus. But no matter how hard they tried, they just simply failed. Jesus was able to refute their, their whataboutism while still staying true to his purpose and what he was sent to accomplish. But, but these religious leaders, they were convinced that, that they had one final ace up their sleeve. They had one final person who was going to be able to stand toe-to-toe with Jesus. And so they had this expert in the law. And they sent this expert into the law and probably just said, like, all right, buddy, go do your thing. And he walks up to Jesus, and this is what he says, teacher, verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We see something so dangerous in the, relig- in, in the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And here's what it is. A familiarity with God can often lead to a casual stance with God. It is possible to know all about God without actually knowing God. Here it looks like that, that these religious leaders and this, this expert in the law is, is deceived and cold-hearted. Because if he truly knew the law the way that he claims to know the law, then he would have known that the Hebrew scriptures that he claims to love so much that that the one that all of the Hebrew scriptures were pointing towards was standing right in front of him. But instead, he decides to test Jesus. So out of the 600 plus laws, out of all these commands, Jesus, which is the most important? And Jesus' answer is just so incredibly brilliant. Because he he shares these words that this expert in the law had probably already recited to himself multiple times that very Day. He, he replies with these words that are known as, as, as the Shema. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. These words that were first spoken by Moses, the one that the expert in the law would have held in the highest regard. They were spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and again, this is something that he probably would have already have recited multiple times that very day. But sometimes 
Simply being familiar with God can lead to a casual stance with God. You can know what's true while completely missing the application. Have you ever been there? I like how how John Piper connects Jesus' words and this command to us. He says that when Jesus demands that we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, he means that every faculty and every capacity of our being should express the fullness of our affection for God. The fullness of, of all the ways we treasure him. In other words... Let every last ounce of who we are, every last ounce of who we are should express our love for God. It should be a love that changes you. It should be the type of love that that pulls you in. It should be the type of love that compels you. It should be the type of love that causes you to see things differently. It it should be the, the type of love that causes you to want to know him, to know God, to see God, to be near to God, to be like God, to be like his son Jesus, the, the, the image of the unseen God. The, the, it, it should cause us to, to want to see God's beauty, for us to find ourselves admiring God's beauty with everything that we have, with all of us, with all of your heart. This is who you are. This is what highlights the, the center of your will and your desire and your emotions. Your will, your desire, and your emotion should all exist to show your love for God. With all of your soul, this is the real you. This is the spiritual you. This is the eternal you. This is the place where your hope is experienced, where your outlook is shaped. And he's saying this soul should love God with all of your mind. This is your thoughts. This is what you allow your eyes to see and your brain to think. This is is what our thinking capacity is. And and, and it's not just there, but it goes so much further. Because whenever we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, it's a desire to want to know more and more and more and more and more about God. Not from a place of arrogance. Not so that way we can just be really, really smart people who can throw Bible darts at one another. But the reason that we want to know more and more and more and more about God is because whenever you truly know someone and you truly love someone, you want to know every last thing you can about them. And with all of your strength, this is what you do. This is the way you work. This is the way you play. This is the way you serve. And and with all of you, Jesus is saying, with all that you are and with all that you do, every ounce of it should flow from Your love for God. This God who is the creator and the sustainer of the world. This God who is the God of wisdom. The God of power. The God of righteousness. The God of wrath. The God of compassion. The God of love. And the reason that this is so important is because we will only love God to the degree that we know God. But we must not allow being familiar with God to give us a casual stance towards God. Jesus commands that that, that we love God with all that we are, for all that he is, and that we would treasure all of God above all things. But here's the thing, here's the thing. 
loving God with all that you are must go beyond simply saying that you love God. Anybody can sit there and just say, I love God. Loving God with everything must go beyond simply saying you love God. It it must become something that you show. It must become something that you, you prove. Well, how do you prove? How can somebody prove that they love God? Let's look at what Jesus says next. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. For the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The clearest way that we can demonstrate, the clearest way that we can prove that we truly love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength is through our love for others. It's through the way that we care for others. It's through the way that we we serve others. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. We see where Jesus modeled this over and over again. We see where Jesus taught this over and over again. And we see that finally after his resurrection, his disciples, they got it. Because we see where Jesus says things like like that, that final night of his life, whenever he's gathered around with his disciples, just moments after he's washed their dirty, stinky feet. Just moments after he's washed their feet and then he's looked at them and said, I've set an example for you. Now go and do likewise. Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, that's the key, so you must love one another. And by this, when you love as Jesus has loved you, All men will know you are my disciples. All men will know that you belong to me if you love one another. And then just in case the disciples were still, you know, drying off in between their toes or something like that, and and maybe they missed what Jesus said, just a a few moments later, he just wanted to make sure that this got through. So so he said in, in, in John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And again, maybe they were still cleaning out their ears and they just didn't get it. So moments later, he said, this is my command, love each other. And again, these words come at the very end of his time with his disciples. After years of his disciples watching Jesus heal the sick, touch the leper, raise the dead, wash their feet and serve and serve and serve. It comes after Jesus has called these very men and accepted these very men, not because of how good they were, but because of how good he is, not because it was anything that they deserved. We have a tax collector. We have, we, we, we have these, these ordinary fishermen. We have all these people, and Jesus goes to them, not because they have done anything good, not because they were worthy of his calling, but because that's who Jesus is, and that's how Jesus loves, and that's what Jesus is saying, that's what you have to do too today. That's who you, you who claim to be my follower, this is what now is expected of you. He talked about it, he modeled it, he talked about feeding the hungry, he fed the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, inviting the stranger, clothing the naked, looking after the sick, visiting the prisoner. And after all of this, he says these words about love just as I have loved you. After he literally defined what a neighbor is, love your neighbor as yourself, he was asked the question, well, 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 who's my neighbor? And his answer was essentially this. That person you least want to be your neighbor, they are your neighbor. 
Now love them the same way that you love you. That's so huge. So don't you dare just say that you love your Father in heaven. Prove it. Show it. Let your light shine before men. And his disciples, they got it. We see this in the early church. The early church was a church of great generosity. It was a church of great service. It was a church that met the needs of the people. It was a church that loved one another. Peter, one of the guys who stood up on the day of Pentecost and gave this incredible message to those who had just months, a month and a half earlier were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Peter would later say, above all, you know what above all means? It means like whatever list you have, put this one above it. Put this one at the very top of the list. Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Have you guys been able to see that in your lives? Whenever you deeply love somebody, it is a whole lot easier to forgive somebody. Whenever you deeply care for somebody, it's a lot harder to write somebody off, isn't it? Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. John, I mean, another guy who was there in those first early chapters of the book of Acts, he said words like this. This is so huge. Whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to live in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. It's not just something you do whenever you feel like it. It's part of your DNA. It's part of who you are. He said in, verse, in, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Anyone who claims to be in the light, to, to be in the light of Jesus, but hates their brother or sister, well, they're still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them that can make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And then in verse, chapter 4, verse 20, John says, And whoever claims to love God, this is so huge. So huge, especially in the world that we find ourselves today. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The Apostle Paul, this one who went from a, a chief persecutor of the church to one of the greatest leaders that the church has ever known, he even got in on the action in Galatians chapter 5, and he said, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. But the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In other words, all these things that you're doing to try and earn God's favor all these things that, that, that you're doing to, to, to try and cause God to look on you and smile, none of it has any value. They hold zero value. The only thing that counts is proving your faith in the way that you love. Why? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of my favorite preachers, a guy by the name of Andy Stanley, he says it like this. He says, Following Jesus looks and sounds an awful lot like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he would later say to the church in Philippi, and I love this, this passage right here. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility consider others better than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Then listen, and in your relationships with one another... 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Scripture is pretty clear here. What it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to live out being a follower of Jesus. And I'm assuming as I look around this room today that the, that the majority of us in this room would say that we love God. I'm assuming that, that whenever we, you know, the majority of us would, would fill out a, a census or something like that, we would proudly mark the box that says that we're a Christian. And that's fine. And that's good. But are you proving that you love God in the way that you love others? Just a few questions for you. Are you willing Are you willing to love those whom you disagree with? It's not so easy, is it? Are you willing to love those whom you disagree with? Are are, are you willing to serve those whom you disagree with? Are you willing to meet the needs of those whom you disagree with? Are you willing to love someone who, who, who doesn't like you or who says bad things about you? Are you willing to love those who, who know you best and who you know the best? Are you willing to love your family even after the hurt? Are you willing to love your kids even after the betrayal? Are you willing to love those who can hurt you the most because you love them the most? Are you willing to, to love those that, you've, that, that, that you hold in a high standard who have possibly let you down? Your parents? Your boss? A pastor, a Christian leader? Are you willing to prove that you love God with all that you are, with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength? Are you willing to prove that in the way that you love others? This past week, I was talking to a friend about life, and one of my favorite questions that I've been asking people lately is, so how did you become you? You know, like, like what happened in your life to, to cause you to, to be you? And so I was talking to my buddy, and we were talking about his life, and, you know, grew up as a missionary's kid and had all these incredible experiences and, you know, had, had, had the Bible drilled into him from a very, very young age. And then he went to college. And he started doing some things that his family never would have agreed with. He started making some decisions and partaking in some activities that he probably should have stayed away from. And then one, one, one season of his life, during one season of his life, he was staying with a family friend. And he, the previous night, he had had a pretty rough night, you know, spending it out partying and doing all these different things and He came home late and snuck into his room, and then he went down to breakfast, and the mom of the family that he was staying with, she was sitting there at the breakfast table, and he goes down, and he says, good morning, you know, how are you? And she says, I'm fine. Hey, I have a question for you. I've noticed that, I've noticed that, that you have a Bible on your bedside table. 
And so I just have a question for you. How could someone who carries around a Bible live like you live? How could someone who carries around a Bible live in the way that you're living, make the decisions that you're making? How could someone who carries around a Bible live like, like that? And the question, it just stopped him in his tracks. He didn't know what to do. And I have a similar question for you today. But instead of just flat out asking, you know, how could someone who claims to love, uh, uh, to claims to love God, how could someone who claims to love God, how could they love others the way that you love others? Some of you may need to hear that question. But instead, the question I want to ask us today is, does your love for others prove the love for God that you claim to have? Does your love for others prove the love for God that you claim to have? Whenever it comes to disagreements, whenever it comes to pain, does your love for others prove the love for God that you claim to have? Is loving others all that goes into being a Jesus follower? No. But it is impossible to truly be a Jesus follower without loving others. And that's the reason that Jesus said, you want to know what the greatest thing is? I know you're trying to trap me. All of it, all all the 10 big ones that we like to talk about, they can be summed up in these two. Honestly, if you really want to get down into it, all 630 some odd of them, they can be summed up in these two. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest command. But the second is like it. It's equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the laws, And all the prophets hang on these two commands. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity today. And God, I pray that you will open up our eyes to see. I pray for those of us who may be living in that darkness that we've allowed disagreements and differences to make us feel like we can't love someone who you created and whom you've died for. And Jesus, I pray that you will convict us so, so deeply to know just how dangerous that lie is. So Father, for us, for LeClaire Christian Church, may we do more than simply say that we love you, but may we May we prove it. So Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for the commands that you've given and the hope that we have in you. It's in your name we pray.